Hey everybody, welcome back to the Long Lost Heroes podcast. We've got a special edition here. Uh, we've got our, our buddy Matt Zimbasile, one of the founding members of the Long Lost Heroes band back in the day, on with us. And uh, we are going to quickly uh, just run down some of the awesome photos and experiences that he had in Vietnam in the past uh, month. I guess he went in April. Uh, so, Matt, what's it like and uh, how, how do you want to run down everything that you, you experienced over there? Sure. Um, well, let's start by saying this trip was a long time in the making. Um, you know, very fortunate that I have the ability to travel and go to places like this and spend enough time and see parts of the world. I think travel is important for everybody and it's certainly important for me. Um, you know, I, I've been very closely associated with this country for a number of reasons, but I'd say the biggest reason is my father is a veteran. He fought in the Vietnam War from 1969 to 1971. And um, yeah, so it's just always been a big part of my life and a big part of my father and just growing up and hearing stories that he would share, you know, some, some good, some bad, mostly bad, but always to me, they felt like, heroic stories like he was always doing something good and um serving his country which he was you know and that was what he was believed to have been told and understand and served his time and wanted to fight for his country and um you know as you get older and things you know your perspective starts to change and you know, you kind of see the world for what it is and all the good and the bad that's happened to it. It was those things where it's like, I've been so surrounded by, you know, war in popular culture, through films and television and through the news and in the history books, what they teach you at school and through the stories that my father told me. But ultimately it was a super controversial war and a lot of people died and, um, you know, there was part of me that wanted to go see what that country was like and what these people were like and gain more knowledge into why we decided to be there and more or less fuck up that country. Um, so that was my purpose for the trip. You know, I asked my cousin, Aaron, you know, Bob's nephew, um, if he wanted to come with me and he said absolutely and then we quickly started planning our trip this was like the end of last year but it was something that you know i've been thinking about for some time i was just kind of waiting for the right time to go do a big trip like this and um and then it landed in april and we went and um spent two weeks in country and bopped around on various modes of transportation and um, saw a ton of different interesting people and definitely gained a newfound perspective for the country and the people. Yeah, man, that, that's awesome. And, you know, it sounds like for you, it's a, a very personal experience, a, a very, uh, you know, concerted effort to go somewhere like this and not just a, 
vacation on a whim that you know decided to go on that there is a purpose for you to to travel here and and i'm sure there are specific things that you wanted to see uh experience and um i so we i know we all me and aj both and uh at least, and I'm sure our other friends, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we followed you uh, on Instagram and, and, and watched uh, some of your experiences while you were there. But uh, yes. so just, just looking at like some of your posts, at least in the beginning here, so you're, you're on a, a motorcycle in traffic, yeah. your first day, I assume. Yeah. So, so how, how did this come about? And um, were you driving or, you know, how, how did, just, just paint the scene for us. How, how did this, this go? Sure. So we, um, since we had what is considered, I guess, a short amount of time in a foreign country, you know, two weeks isn't a ton of time. It's, you know, it's a good amount of time, but there's it's a huge country. There's a lot of things we want to see. So we had planned a lot of the trip before we went. It wasn't like we're just going to go and figure it out. You know, we left some room for spontaneous things and, you know, random adventures. But for the most part, this trip was fairly mapped out. We knew what we were going to do. We had paid for a lot of tours up front and people to, and we had guides the whole time. You know, I think we had three or four different guides, depending on what part of the country we were in. Um, so it was a lot of like, just like we had to show up at certain places and things were there for us. And motorcycles were frequented in most of these trips. Um, so it's cost prohibitive to have a car in Vietnam. There's like a three or four time import tax on vehicles. A Honda Civic is like 80 grand or something like that. It's, wow. it's absurd. And the average, wow. the average income for a person in Vietnam is about $4,000, more or less, less than wow. what I spent on this trip. Um, so just to give you context, cars aren't super accessible. So everyone has scooters and scooters could run anywhere from like a thousand dollars to a cheap one to like four or $5,000 for something that's decent. So that's, that's what a majority of the people use as their transportation are these scooters. And when I say the majority of the people, it's insane how many scooters there are in Vietnam. Um, and how traffic works or doesn't work for that matter because there's lights and things but it doesn't really seem to matter because everyone is just always going straight at all times right into things like you think this person's going to crash right into you but they don't you know they they'll hit the brakes gently i mean granted everyone's going you know 20 or 30 miles an hour but for the most part it's like a water flowing through a stream like there's rocks and they'll just the water will just go around it but for the most part it's just fucking chaos and there's <laughs> a method to the madness but it is like the first few days there i mean i never experienced anything like that it was it was scary i'm like i'm gonna get hit by car even crossing the street like they're just going yeah the key is just to like you just go and like they're gonna go around you or they're gonna stop but like you need to be assertive and you need to navigate it but it, it's crazy i mean you need to be super aware especially in a foreign city where you're like kind of looking around i mean there's scooters fucking going in every direction we flew into hanoi which is 
used to be the capital of Vietnam. It's in the north of the country, has a population of about 7 million people. So it's huge. It's huge. Huge city. Huge city. Um, and just everyone on scooters. It's insane. So, um, you know, the first day there, we're just very jet lagged and confused. I mean, it just taken 30 hours to get there from Los Angeles. You know, we left Sunday evening, local time in Los Angeles, and we arrived Monday morning, local time in Hanoi, Vietnam. So we just like, we didn't have Sunday. Sunday just existed on a plane somewhere. So wait, wait, uh, what's the time difference actually? 14 hours ahead. Okay. 14? 12, 12 hours ahead. 12 hours ahead. And then you had, did you have a layover or anything or did you have a direct? Yeah, we, had, we had a layover in, in Seoul in South Korea. Got it. Which is not super comforting. Yeah, that's one of the, you know, the prime destinations I'm hearing right now. Apparently Seoul's beautiful, um, to be it's, honest. You know, it's very safe. There's no threat of any sort of nuclear weapons at all. No, no. I mean, Just, Mm-hmm. It's just great. It's, it's just nice a beautiful and, place. Nice and cozy, close to the action. Very, very safe. Um, yeah. I just have one little quick other clarification. So when you said that you uh, planned all these guides uh, to help you along the way, yeah. what's it like when you you meet these people? Do they speak English at all? Or like, how do you they communicate do, yeah, with them? The guides, the guides are fairly well-spoken in English. I mean, there's a little bit of, you know, like, how do you say, but for the most part, they speak English very well. I mean, English is the world language, you know. We're so, like, pretty fortunate in that sense where anywhere we go, for the most part, someone you communicate with. That being said, I think having a guide here was very important because if we were just, you know, trying to locally figure this out, it would have been, one, extremely frustrating, um, just based on their culture and their understanding. And two, it's, it's just one less thing to worry about, you know? Um, so yeah, the guide spoke English well, and they were fairly knowledgeable, both on, you know, U.S. firms, they were aware of, like, the current political environment in the States, and they, you know, they watched that closer than they watched their elections. Um, wow. And, um, and yeah, and just were knowledgeable and able to fill us in on, stuff happening in country and sites we were going to. Okay. So, uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I want to get back to just like day one or two. Like I'm just like being thrown into this third world country where everyone is on scooters. I mean, I've never been to Asia before. Um, it's just like the first time you go, it's literally, you're thrown on the other side of the world and you're just, it's a lot to take in. It's super yeah. overwhelming. Was it worse right. to be a pedestrian or on the scooter? Like, did you? Well, there's not really sidewalks like in most of Hawaii, <laughs> at least where we were staying. So like, you're just walking in the street and the streets are pretty small and there's scooters everywhere. And you're just like, you're just in it. You're so just in it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So the first image that you have, the first Instagram photo in traffic on the motorcycle, where yeah. were you going to and where were you coming from? Um, I don't know exactly where we were going. Um, you know, the first day, 
was really just an adjustment day. We just got to the city. Aaron and I wandered around. We grabbed something to eat. I don't think we had anything. I don't think we had anything planned that day. The next day, early in the morning, though, we had a vintage Minsk motorcycle, so a Russian motorcycle from the 80s. So this is your this is your second uh, the second post that you have here, where you rented the motorcycles. Oh, okay. So yeah. So okay. No, no. So the first post, I think I'm on the back of a rickshaw. Ah. Okay. And we're just like, I'm just in it and observing and just seeing all this traffic and trying not to, not to die. Um, <laughs> Are there seatbelts in these rickshaws? No. So you just hold on. You just hold on. I mean, they're fairly comfortable and the guy's working hard and. But it's crazy because, like, everything's going way quicker than you are. You know, this guy's fucking lugging my fat ass around Vietnam like the, like a king. And, um, and yeah, I'm just seeing these, like, scooters go by. And this guy's just, like, going right into oncoming traffic. And I'm just like, I'm like, okay, this is all happening. I'm in no control of this. But he's probably got a better sense of what's happening than I do. Um, so there was just a lot of, like confusion the first day i'd say for lack of a better word and um and yeah trying to like figure out where we were in the world and what we what we were doing the second day was on those vintage those vintage minced motorcycles and i never been on a motorcycle before this trip um so that was cool um and we had two guides and two bikes and i and i we did not drive them we were passengers which was great because one i don't know how to drive a motorcycle and two um you know it's nice to be a passenger and just look around and take it all in and really kind of appreciate what's around you um so in this tour we went all around the city of hanoi we went um, to various different markets where we saw all sorts of crazy things that i've never seen before available to a person at a market such as like pig faces, um, <laughs> just like stingrays, um, dog, which I'm sure you've heard of, but I saw a roasted dog on a grill. Oh, buddy. Tail, <laughs> yeah, tail and snout and everything, just like a fucking roasted pig, but it was a fucking dog. Uh, and then man. you see the straight dogs around the city and you're just like run for your life <laughs> <laughs> okay oh man alright because there's a lot there's a lot of street dogs you know it's it's Asia so when you're riding around on the back of this guy's motorcycle yeah. um, how'd you mount the camera is this on the motorcycle itself is it on someone's head so Aaron and I being the professionals that we are and doing what we do, we came, we were like a small mini production studio <laughs> on the go. We brought four GoPro cameras with all sorts of various mounts, um, an SLR shooting camera, a medium format film camera, and of course our two iPhones. Um, so we, and for the most part, we had everything rolling 24-7. Like we... We have a ton of footage. We have close to like a terabyte of just footage from this trip. That's awesome. Um, so there is a large uncut experience of this trip 
stored in, on a hard drive someplace. Correct. Um, <laughs> we're going to cut a video. It's going to happen. It's just, um, you know, it's a, it's a process. And, and we're actually figuring out the story as we speak. But, um, yeah, there'll, there'll be, you'll get to see some of this. I, I sure I sure as hell hope so. I think everyone is dying to see, which is part of the reason why I felt the need not only to have this discussion here uh, with you on the podcast, uh, but to to give you some time to kind of digest it. You know, it's, yeah, no, nice to finally talk about it in in this context. You know, as I get further away from the trip, which seems like all but a distant memory at this point, even though it was only like three weeks. I guess it will be. It was like three weeks ago at this point. Three weeks, four weeks? I don't even know. Um, yeah, it's all like settling in and um, I feel like I have a full grasp on what just happened. That, that's awesome. It's so cool that you're really digging back into it and I really appreciate you taking the time to do that with us. Uh, okay, so um, one of the things you know I'm curious about as a New York City person um, are the various, you know, sensations one has walking around the city. Um, and we're getting into the hot, sticky summer months. I'm getting ready for that hot garbage. What does it <laughs> smell like in Vietnam when you're riding around? Two words for you. Fish sauce. Fish sauce. That is what you could sum up the majority smell of Vietnam. It smells like fish sauce. And if, for those of you who don't know what fish sauce is, it's fermented fish oil, usually from like fish heads, but like that's a fairly potent smell. Um, and they fucking love it. They love eating it. They love a lot of it. It's, in my opinion, grotesque. <laughs> I, I don't like cheap things. This is like all right, you know, you're ordering chicken or pork, you're like, I like the way chicken and pork taste, but, like, how about chicken and pork, but it also tastes like fish. You're just like, no, I don't... I don't really want those flavors together. I don't see how they play well in the same sandbox, but to them, they it is like, you know, I don't know, eating the best thing in the world. So, fish sauce is how I would sum up the smells of Vietnam. It's very pungent. It's very dank. It, um, it's, it's overpowering to be honest. And, um, it gets less strong as you get further South in the country where it becomes more liberal and democratic, you could say. Um, but it's still the number one thing in Vietnamese cuisine. So, yeah, that's so, how smells. There's various other smells you'll get. Like, there's a specific incense that they burn in in Vietnam. That you know, there's pagodas and temples and various shrines throughout, like a lot of the country. So you'll get whiffs of that from time to time. But for the most part, it's it's that that fish sauce smell that you'll get that will not leave my nostrils. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that. You have a memory of the way it smells, I'm sure, is burned into your nostrils, even. But, and unfortunately, taste buds, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I it's guess... Not, sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, so the food there, 
Um, while we've had some good, I'd say it was like hit or miss for the most part. Um, you know, I don't have, like, I feel like I have a pretty open palate these days where I will try just about anything, you know, minus dog. Um, but, buddy. Buddy. yeah, <laughs> but I don't, it's just, it's not just the ingredients. It's, it's the actual meat that you're eating. You know, it's just, it's raised differently. It's killed differently. It's processed differently. It just, it's chewier. It tastes a little more cartilage or it's just like, it's not what you're used to having. So initially eating that stuff, you're, you're definitely thrown for a loop. So the first few days in Vietnam, it was a lot of like trial and error of things we could eat. You're like, oh, I, like, I love pho in the States. Let me go get pho. Then you get pho and it's doused in fish oil. And you're just like, this is so strong. I can't enjoy my soup. Um, so you, you learn to figure out what you like, what you don't like. So we stopped having things with fish sauce because just everything is served with it. Um, and we actually stopped eating meat about like day three or four into the trip and just went full vegetarian. Um, wow. Because meat was just kind of so gnarly and we were just not liking it. Um, and I think it definitely different in the north end is the south because as we got further down south, you know, we did a lot of food tours, like street food tours being taken by, you know, a local guide bringing us to local spots where we would only, you know, we'd be the only white people there. So, you know, it was like authentic and we we're going to these real experiences and there we would be more um, open to trying some of these foods um you know we, we specifically say vegetarian but like we were like if there was a meat dish we would try it too um we just wanted to be covered in case we didn't like the meat we had something we could actually eat um so yeah i mean i had the best bon mi sandwich i ever had in my life in hoi an and it was a dollar fifty um yeah and it was made with five different types of pork um yeah. which was insane uh, their baguette is special Vietnamese baguette where it's 80% flour and 20% rice. And that's what gives it that like extra crisp. Um, so yeah, as we got further south and more away from the traditional parts of the country, um, our palates definitely expanded and we got to try and eat some new things. I will also say that every meal you have in Vietnam is like a nine course meal and they just keep bringing you endless amounts of food and everything costs like $4. Wow. That does, well, that doesn't suck. Yeah, it doesn't suck at all. <laughs> so it doesn't suck, but it's like, if you don't want to, if you don't like everything they're giving you, they're very sad when you don't want to eat it. They're like, we were in Hanoi and, and we ordered pho and we have a little of it. And then like, we're done and our waitress comes over and Aaron's just like, they're like, are you done? And we're just like, yeah, we're good. You know, we're not that hungry. She's like, is it, is it no good? And she's like, we're just like, we're good. And you know, we, you know, we don't, we're okay. And she just like shakes her head and puts her hand. And she's like, Oh no. She was so sad that we didn't want to eat the food. <laughs> oh um, my God. Well, like the Vietnamese Jewish mother guilt. And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this is. I don't know what you're feeding me. Um, I just, I, 
I could eat little bits of everything, but I can't have can't have all the nine things you're giving me. I just I can't. I yeah, don't you can't want it. To go either. So it's like, what are you gonna do? No. I also um, was served the worst smelling thing I've ever been served and been told to eat. Um, I saw barbecued ribs on the menu. I'm like, great. I love barbecue ribs. Mike, <laughs> what could these be? So everything is more or less similar to what you think it is, but entirely different. So, which is, you know, I think how it is in most foreign countries. You're like, oh, you see a familiar thing. You're like, let me go with that. And then you get it and it's totally different than what you think it is. So that happened just every day, everywhere we went. Um, so I get these ribs and they're just doused in fish sauce. And they're like pretty, they're small but like meaty, but you know, on the bone and it just smelled so bad. I, I didn't even eat it. Um, Aaron is just like, what is that smell? And I'm like, I think it's my meal. Oh, he's like, you need to take that away. You need to have them take that away. And it's like repulsive. And um, yeah, I just, I couldn't even eat it. It was so strong and, overpowering in the worst way um it smelled like a wet sock like in an aquarium oh man (laughs) (laughs) wow so 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 yes rich imagery (laughs) breaking point of let's go vegetarian yeah sure probably a good call so kind of a mix of some decent a lot of weird experiences with with food but um I lost 10 pounds when I came home. Well, you probably did a lot of walking as well, and the, but I'm sure... Yeah, no, it's a lot of things. But I also definitely didn't eat the same way like yeah. I eat here. So so getting back to uh, your, your posts here, um, looks like around day three, uh, you were... You encountered a water buffalo? In, in, was this a jungle? Sure. Was this a... Some sort of tour? What happened there? Vietnam is all just a giant jungle, you know, parts of it is obviously developed in a city, but even in the city, you're like walking through certain streets and you're just like, this is just a city built in a jungle, like the overgrow and the plant life. It's very jungle-esque and and the temperature. Um, So water buffalo are just like everywhere in Vietnam. Um, And especially like, you know, not so much like in the dense parts of the city, but, you know, you drive... 10, 15 minutes outside the city and you'll just see water buffalo in the rice fields, people walking them, people having them on the back of their scooters, whatever the fuck. They're just like, they're everywhere. Um, so this was... Wait, um, wait, 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 wait. People are riding their buffalo around on a scooter? Google, and for the listeners, Google things that people carry on their scooter in Vietnam (laughs) filled with entertainment for at least 25 minutes. Sounds great. (laughs) I'm sure that's got to be a Tumblr page. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely has to be. It's insane the amount of things that people can put on their scooter. And having a buffalo is one of them that I saw. That's insane, man. But so needless to say, that wasn't the only one that you probably came up that close to. 
Um, no, I, I no. There's there's ones that like on our motorcycle rides or bike rides or whatever. Like it's just us going, and there's just a water buffalo like right there, like very close. I oh actually, I was on the back of a water buffalo. That's awesome. There's a picture of that. It exists. So okay, back to the smells. I mean, there's, that hasn't been shared yet, but yeah, I was on the back of a buffalo. Can we please have that picture for the cover of this podcast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> All Thank right. Um, I mean, were there other animals that you got to see, like in the wild, like that, or, or is that kind of like your main? That was kind of like the most Vietnamese animal that we're just like. There's just water buffalo hanging around. I mean, saw a snake that was fairly large in a pagoda. And that was a little alarming. Um, so a boa constrictor. I mean, no, yeah, the water buffalo, I'd say, was, the, um, was definitely the standout. Um, yeah. Wow. So, okay. So I saw, you know, this water buffalo. And then I remember later, I think later on in the same day, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah is the hello money post yeah <laughs> and i just immediately cracked up because i am a, i'm an asshole and uh like i have this stereotypical asian child voice in my head saying hello money and hello. i know that's wrong and totally racist but like tell me how that whole scene took place and what interaction you had with these kids sure so we are um in this scene we were at some tomb of, I think, the first king of Vietnam, you know, where he is laid to rest. And this is a bike tour that in Ning Binh, Vietnam, so in the north of the country, that I went through something. It was a far bike ride. We're just like biking through, you know, the back country of Vietnam. And then we come across some like you know, ridiculous looking temple that looks like it was out of some last samurai movie. And it's just Aaron and I and our guide, or we have two biker guides next to us. And um, we get there, we're just like setting up, taking pictures. They're preparing for the next day was the Day of the Dead, um, the Vietnamese Day of the Dead Festival, which is to celebrate the 13 kings of Vietnam. Um, so they were like preparing these like thrones there and stuff like that. But there, he did preface by saying like, don't, you know, don't shake hands or don't give high fives to the kids or something because they're just going to come around and, you know, they're, they're like, you feed a puppy once, you know, and they come back for more is, is sort of like that. These kids just like, you know, Aaron and I are looking around, we're taking some pictures and Aaron's setting up his film camera and these four kids come out of nowhere and they're just like local village kids and they just come into, you know, this is obviously a tourist destination. You know, another group came like 10 minutes later, um, a much larger group. So they, they're, they're smart. These kids are smart. They know that, you know, white people have money. So, you know, they're coming around, we're taking pictures of them because they're adorable. Um, mm-hmm. And they're very photogenic and they're smiling and they're they're amazed by our cameras you know they probably never seen something like Aaron's film camera before so they're they're hanging around and um and then they're just like 
you know, as I as I sit down and I'm like going through my pictures, they just come up to me and they're like, hello, money. I'm like, hello, like, money, hello, money. And, um, <laughs> I, and they're, you know, they obviously wanted something for being in the photos. Um, and I, I, I was about to pull out to my arms, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. They're like, they're, I could make them rich right now. <laughs> Give them $20. <laughs> Three years. Um, but I also didn't know how to like, well, who do I give it to? There's four of you. I it just like, so I didn't end up giving them any money, um, which, you know, whatever, I can't save everybody. And, um, but yeah, they were very sweet and cute children. And, um, yeah, they just greeted me by saying hello money. That's that's crazy. I mean, it, I'm sure it's this is not the only country that you go to where you you would encounter something like that. But you know, totally. they're yeah, totally adorable. But um, so as you continue to make your your way through the trip, you you go to Ha Long Bay. Yeah, imagine that's how you Sorry. pronounce it. Is what is significant about this place? You said it's a World Heritage site. Is that something with the war? Or? Right. No, no. World Heritage Site is a um, it's a preserved site in the world. It could be anywhere, um, and it's decided by the UN. Actually, the UN Natural I think it's United Nations Natural Science Conservation Center or something like that. And there are certain sites in the world that you know are protected by a treaty and can't be changed by any way so Holong Bay is one of them and just being there you know and even seeing the pictures you know why it's just it's absolutely breathtaking prehistoric looking magical place on this earth that um was a must see if you go to Vietnam it's just something you have to do so it's about a four hour drive from Hanoi um where we were and um, we took a cruise out there. It's like a 30-person cruise for the night. I mean, some people do two nights, but you really only need one night. Um, and you just sail out there. And, you know, as you get further away from the bay, um, these, you know, rock formations and the sea just become more and more abundant and spaced out. And you're just like, there's like all this vegetation and, plant life growing on it it's um it's breathtaking to be honest and then so we're on a really silly cruise with like a full cast of these crazy vietnamese people um that introduced themselves they all had fake names because you know their real names are probably something that most americans or most tourists can't remember so they make up these fake names so that you do remember them (laughs) one of our guys on the cruise was named james bond he was very unlike James Bond. Another one was called Harry Potter. And it's just so silly that they're just like, they're not even like going to give you a chance to know my real name. Just like, just call me. You can call me anything because it doesn't really matter. So <laughs> here's a name. That's, not- <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. And, um, and yeah, so we're, we're on the cruise. You know, it's all very very silly just the way they greet you and interact with you they're very um overly hospitable but in a way where it's like i got this like i could do this i'm a capable human being 
Um, essentially, I could wipe my own ass, but thank you for asking. Um, and we we went on like a little kayak trip out. We you know we docked our boat and we did, we went kayaking out around the bay and um, and then in the evening, you know, there was like some games and drinking stuff and karaoke. But Aaron and I were mostly just kind of doing our own thing. You know, we had dinner, which was okay. Um, but there was this epic bathtub. Um, we each had our own room, by the way. But this epic bathtub, um, and you just open the windows, and it's just like you're just looking out into Hong Bay. So you know, try to get in some relaxing moments when you can in this trip, especially like when we're doing a lot of in-country travel. You know, all the days were super jam-packed. We were, we had so much filled, and especially if we were traveling, we were just kind of always on the go. Like you said before, it wasn't a vacation where really got to do too much R and R. It was like a lot of like get up and go and we're on a motorcycle, we're on a boat, we're on a scooter, we're on bicycles, we're going on a hike, we're just like we're in it. We're just doing all sorts of crazy ass adventures. Um woke up the next morning on the boat super early at like six thirty and did Tai Chi with this like Vietnamese instructor. Like it's like misty and I feel like I'm in Jurassic Park. I mean, they shot the new King Kong movie there, which I hadn't seen. It shot there. Everyone is like, oh, you guys work in film? Have you seen King Kong? Do you know the director? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Hey, they're very proud of it. They're very proud of it. I sure. think it's the first big Hollywood production that has been in Vietnam. Um so yeah, everyone's super stoked about that over there, and everywhere we went, people asked us like, "Have you seen Kong?" Um, so Aaron and I do need to go see that movie now. But um, it's not but, a bad movie. It's not a yeah, bad movie. yeah. It's not a, great, it's not a great movie, but it's not bad. Um, yeah, no, I want to see it for the location now. I mean, I'm sure it's cool. All right. So yeah, so I, that, next, that next morning we just like went on a hike. Um, they took us to like one of these pillars. And we were hiking up it, and then there was a cave in it. Got to go in this awesome cave. And then you get back on the boat, you have lunch, and then they drop you back off. So it was like a perfect little day trip. That's awesome. That's awesome. How long were you at the spot where you took the picture? What spot? What picture? The picture of Halong Bay. Oh, that, that was from the island, so I wasn't on the boat from that picture. I mean, we were there for maybe an hour, and I don't know. That was just like, I just had that picture. That's cool. Okay. But, yeah, it sounds like that was, like, your your key moment of relaxation, relaxation throughout the trip and probably yeah, needed at, at that, that point. At that point, it was, yeah, for sure. Cool, man. All right, so moving right along. Um uh aaron there's a great picture um i know aaron i've met him a few times i'm sure frank has met him a ton of times as well uh aaron it's good to be the king in a ringshaw tell me what it was like to travel with aaron he's your cousin you guys have a you guys are super tight um what was it like to go around with him and can you kind of describe uh he travels so much um with wander and doing the work that he does was it 
uh, how can what was the relationship of his kind of expert travel levelness and your travel experiences, but not necessarily to the extent that he's done? How did that interplay while you guys were on the road? Yeah, um, I, I think you said it best. You know, he is an avid traveler. He was just super well prepared. You know, he had all like the little things. That's not to say I wasn't prepared, but um, you know, he had a lot of little things like you know. Um, like bug bite cream that I didn't have and just like these little things that you forget and um, you know that are super helpful emodium you know for your stomach and just all these like little things um, that definitely played a played a role in being more prepared for the trip but it was great to finally travel with him you know we are super close like you said um, you know I've seen over the years all these pictures and stories of all these adventures he's gone on in these foreign places and um, we were just kind of looking for the right trip, I think, to take together. And this, you know, with, you know, my dad being his uncle and the importance of this trip to me, it just it made sense. He was the right partner to take on this trip. Um, and especially since we wanted to document it fairly well, having his uh, film production knowledge was also super helpful. You know, all that GoPro gear was mostly his, you know, I have two cameras, but he had all the mounts. Um, so that was all helpful. And he brought his computer, which I refused to bring mine because I didn't want to do any work. Um, so, you know, we were dumping footage every night and, um, it was good to, to have his expertise lend a hand in this trip. And, you know, we got along super well, you know, we, we both like a lot of the same things. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very, very easy travel partner. When, okay, so the caption for that, it says, good to yeah, be the so king. It's good to be the king. So essentially, I mean, being, being, being who we were in this country, it felt like we were kings, you know, we were so fucking rich by their standards there. So like, you could do anything, you know, money felt like no object. So and it was just like to be driven around whenever you want, you know, just to go over there for like a couple bucks, you know, just like you felt like, yeah, take me there, man. I'll go now. And I'm just going to sit back and relax and film this and you're going to drive me. Um, so, yeah, just it felt like the whole time we felt like we were king. The exchange rate from dollars to dong, which is the Vietnamese currency, is insane, I think. It was about one dollar equals twenty three thousand dong. So like you exchange a hundred bucks and we're dong millionaires. <laughs> sure, sure. Do you? So we we just kept going off of that. We're just like we're so we're dong millionaires. <laughs> Good to be a dong millionaire. <laughs> Did it feel like they were? like the relationship is solely to like get money. Like do, do you, did you feel like they hated like Americans, white people, Westerners? No, because the opposite. They love they us. Lo love us. Okay. So I think, all right, it's a few things. One is I think tourism is fairly new to the country, at least for, most Westerners. I think a lot of people in Europe tour Vietnam, especially the French and the Germans. We saw a ton of French and German people. Um, 
And um, but I think tourism is a new industry in Vietnam, and I think they're really trying to like cater to tourists. So they, they don't really care where you're from. Um, and then when you do say American, you know, it it is a few generations removed now from the war. I mean, the fallout is still very much felt there, but you know, a lot of Vietnamese are Buddhists, so main philosophy in Buddhism is forgiveness. Forgiveness, so, yeah. So, you know, they see it as it was the Vietnamese government versus the American government, not the Vietnamese people versus the American people. So the fact that we want to go there and, you know, spend money and take in the sites and see the country and learn about it, you know, they're super stoked to have you there. Plus, you know, the country has always been divided. The South has always been drawn to democracy and capitalism, and they want, you know, they would love to live like Americans. You know, they, they you go out, everyone's drinking Budweiser. You know, they like, they want to be Americans. Um, and they were very like, you know, we went out a couple of nights and just, you know, we went met people that were just like very happy to see us and shake our hands. A lot of different women took pictures with us. You know, they had never seen white people that looked like us. And, um, you know, Aaron has a giant beard and I don't know, I'm tall and dark and have a lot of hair also. They, we were just very much a, uh, a sight for these people. Um, and random strangers would come up to us and, and want to take our picture with us, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, they, they, um, they love American, at least in the South. I mean, the country is still divided. It's still the North and the South, it feels like. They're very different places. Um, mm. You know, you're not going to find dog in Ho Chi Minh City. You're just not. I mean, sure, you could probably seek it out somewhere, but it's not something they eat down there. In the North, it is. You know, they. Um, it still feels like two different parts of the country. And um, it really is. It's... Um, you know, they call themselves a socialist government, but it's really still communism. Um, they have one party, two different candidates, but for one party, and the elections are all predetermined. It's it's communism. Um, and um, there's communist propaganda all out the through all throughout the country. It's really it's quite fascinating that you know that's what you know the North essentially won the war, and it still kind of feels like. They, they run the country, even though the South is so predominant now. I mean, Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City, whatever you want to call it, um, is a super westernized, huge. It's the second biggest city in Southeast Asia next to Jakarta. Um, you know, it has close to 8 million people, I think. And it, um, it feels like it could have been in, you know, a New York or San Francisco or something like that. It's very dense and it's hustling, bustling, people have cars, there's money, there's high-end shopping. It feels like a, a modernized, democratic, capitalist city. Whereas Hanoi still feels like a giant city, but like a third world giant city. Wow, mm. it's, it's so interesting that, you know, you say that, it, that it would seem like it would almost be the opposite, you know, that the, the city that is a little bit more developed would be the one that would be maybe a little bit more in control, but it doesn't seem like that's the case over there. Yeah, no, because it's, it's, it's controlled by the government. 
And, you know, while the people want, I think a lot of people want that, and even probably some in the North, you know, it's still being controlled by this government that feels that this is what's best for this country and this is how we're going to operate. Yeah, man. The heavy stuff. But uh, so then we've got, we've got a, a photo here of you and Aaron wearing straw hats in front of the gates of life. What, yeah. um, A, what is the gates of life? And is this yeah. something that you can, like, go into? Or is it just sort of a tourist kind of spot? Or um, Yeah, it's a, um, it's another temple situation. Um, so there's these temples that you can walk in, check out their band, and they used to be the grounds for... Um, for, I think this was the third king of Vietnam. I don't know. It all kind of starts to blur together, to be honest. But um, And the gates of life were essentially the entrance to um, to his tomb, which is interesting because, you know, I mean, they believe in reincarnation. So mm. walk through the tomb, the gates, you know, it's, it's this gates to the second life. Um, straw hats, I'm a big proponent wherever I go on a big trip. I have a travel hat. That was my acquired travel hat. <laughs> Three American dollars for it. Um, and then Aaron quickly got a hat. You also need a hat in Vietnam because it's so damn hot. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone's wearing like the rice paddy hats for practical purposes, which is funny because it's just, and then you see the, stu- the you know, the tourist with the rice paddy hats. And you're just like, you're just like so in it uh, and doing it. And you look- <laughs> Like, I wanted to be in it, but I wanted to still have, like, a somewhat cooler hat. So that's that's why I acquired that hat. Yeah, it just seemed, it just seemed, well, very you from, I remember your travel fedora, re, your European trip with other friend Daniel Silverberg. Uh, yeah. But this looks like a distinctly different hat. Which is why I was yeah, curious. I, I was in a distinctly different part of the world. <laughs> uh, ag- agreed. Wearing a distinctly different hat. Okay, so I know that we've been talking about uh, the jungle kind of off and on, but yeah. uh, on your uh, April tenth post, you talk about a vintage jeep in yeah. Bachma when you're driving around in the jungle. Um, yeah. So I know that you know on. You know, several occasions, I'm sure you've dug deep with your dad into all of his kind of stories. I don't want to dig deep with that here. This is not the appropriate place to do that. But mm-hmm. what I'm asking you is, like, describe to me as comprehensively as you can, what was it like to be in a Vietnamese jungle in this kind of element? And, like, what did it feel like to you in your context being there? Sure. So, one, um, the jungle is hot and humid, as you expect a jungle to be. And this is a national park. So, we drove, essentially what we did was we rented this US vintage U.S. Army American Jeep. So, so, like, just fucking on the nose, but whatever, we did it. And um, took this Jeep through the jungle, drove up this breathtaking road and this jeep was all open you know it was like pretty rugged it was made lead it was like hardcore um 
we took it up to the jungle, not like really through the jungle, like there was roads, um, small dirt roads, saw a bunch of water buffalo. Um, and we went to the top and then sort of from the top, went into the jungle and hiked through there. Um, and yeah, there definitely, but a lot of times throughout this trip, like I had the thought of like, I couldn't imagine one being in a war setting here to strapped with like tons of gear and just sweating my balls off and like being fired at and being in a yeah just being in a war in this environment it seemed totally um laborious and uh just you know obviously that's why the vietnamese had a huge advantage you know they're familiar with you know home field advantage but um yeah it was it was definitely breathtaking um we saw a couple like Viet Cong caves in the jungle that they would like go into the caves and the tunnels that you you know was part of their main tactical warfare um so just like peeking through those was like crazy shit happened here um so yeah I had that moment definitely in that jungle I had it again going down the Mekong Delta um it's like my apocalypse now moment um and throughout like various parts of the trip where we're just like in the country you know we're taking a motorcycle ride through Hoi An we're just seeing like rice paddy fields you definitely get a sense of like crazy shit happened here and I couldn't imagine if I was there at that time does it feel like eerie and spooky or is it like more like the caves like are they like more like a tourist kind of an attraction do you like is there that kind of reverence that like one would pay at you know say like a battlefield in the south like gettysburg well not that gettysburg is in the south but like like a, a historic battleground is there that kind of reverence that you have when going around in, the, in these kind of places yeah, yeah, I think so. Maybe more so for me than other people, just because I was thinking in that mindset and, you know, thinking about my father a lot and the war. I mean, the war is like just a lot of, I kept thinking about it in context of where I was. And, you know, we would always ask, like, you know, did this, was this area affected by the war and stuff like that? And parts of, parts of it, you could just still see the remnants of, you know, bullet holes or, you know, bombings and some of the city still hasn't recovered from that. And it's, it's insane. Um, but yes, to answer your question, I definitely felt that way. Um, one of the other things on this post was your dad commented on it with you. Did you see yeah. that when you were in Vietnam? See what? See his comment, like him kind of talking back to you in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I did, and I tried to, like, plug him in, too, on some of the other stuff that was happening throughout the trip. Um, yeah, I, you know, he was really happy for me to go and, and take this trip, you know. It was a weird thing, like, hey, I want to go see the country that, you know, we're shooting at you and where you took a lot of people's lives. Um, but he was, he was very supportive of it, um, and he thought it would be a great experience for me, and I think he got to sort of, we live it through me in a way where, you know, you can enjoy the, the nicer parts and, you know, without actually being there. So I think that was nice for him to see. 
what did he say before you left? He just said, uh, you know, have fun, be safe, you know, like typical dad things. You know, he said they're going to be very friendly. You know, they did win the war after all. Um, and he said, if you see anybody that looks like they're your brother, say hi, because they might be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob. Oh, Mr. Basile. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh Okay, which I want to. I didn't see anybody like that. There was, there was one guy maybe, but yeah, I think I think I didn't see any long lost relatives. Any other long well, lost heroes? <laughs> <laughs> that would be very appropriate. Um, okay, so I want to kind of quick up a few of these last two to get to the final one, and then yeah. we'll go through the lightning round. What is the okay. full moon festival? Tell me what's the deal with the lanterns. What is this holiday? Yeah, so Hoi An is I'd say the most European sort of influenced city in Vietnam. They, um, you know, Vietnam used to be a French colony. So this part of the country still has a lot of that feels like the French architecture. It feels very quaint. It's very nice. It's very touristy. Um, full moon festival was for the full moon. We were there when a full moon was happening. Um, I don't know if it's, Every full moon or just, I'd imagine it's every full moon because it's like, why not? Um, but it could be maybe it's just for that specific moon. I don't really know the full context of it. Um, and essentially it was just like, you know, all these lanterns and a lot of people out um, in the city. You know, there was a little river and we went down a little river and put some like candles on these floating like flower things on the river. You're supposed to make a wish. Um but, you know, it's I, it's mostly a tourist thing, I feel like. But it's cool to see, like, all the lanterns and all the people out and vendors. And and there's just, like, a lot of action, and it felt very alive to be there. Um, it was really nice. Awesome. Very. I'm, I'm glad it was just as simple as they had the full moon and we're having a festival. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, what is Saigon like? What's the difference between Hanoi and, and Saigon? We've kind of covered that already. But more, I, I, my question is, do the different Vietnamese cities, different Vietnamese regions have, like, regional rivalries the way that, like, New York and Boston does or the way that uh, San Francisco and L.A. do or Oakland and San Francisco? Like, is there that? Absolutely. And, I mean, and to the next level, I mean, they went to war together at each other. So, I mean, and that's still very I mean, present there in everyday life. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're adamantly fighting. I think it's just totally different viewpoints. And I think the country has learned to sort of just like it is what it is and they've lived with it. But yeah, I mean, they're like when we we're in the north, there were people that are like, I won't even eat food in the south. Or there's people that haven't even been to the south. And in the south, they would say the same thing. They're just like, oh, the food there is too too fishy or too much fish sauce. So it, it's very different in almost, it's it's almost totally opposite. I mean, one is clamoring onto, you know, this communist power and traditional Vietnam, where the other is, you know, trying to get into the modern era and, you know, embrace capitalism and democracy and, you know, they want money and, they, yeah, they just have a totally different viewpoint. Is there like a distinct uh, 
border or area where where you really start to feel the change, or is it a little yeah, bit it's called harder? the 17th parallel? Got it. Uh, and it's uh, yeah, it's more or less in the middle of the country, but it's the 17th province, I think, in Vietnam, and more or less divides the north and the south. Wow, that's it, it's nuts because. One of the things, like, I think is, like, interesting about American culture is, like, our, like, regional rivalries, like, like, yeah, you can say that, like, New York and Boston, like, it's, it's, you know, it pretty much just boils down to baseball and hockey, but, you know, other regional rivalries, like, the North and the South on the East Coast of America have come to blows. Like, it's, right. it's so interesting that, like, people who live relatively close to each other it can't really, you know, cross those lines, but interesting to hear your reflection on that. And I think this is where everyone really has been tuning in. If you saw the pod, uh, podcast post we put up later, uh, earlier in the day of, uh, our good friend, uh, very recognizable Matt ZB with a, uh, elderly Vietnamese gentleman, um, who, uh, you revealed in your post and in your discussions to be a former member of the Viet Cong, uh, so I can't imagine what it was like to um, meet this guy, and I, I kind of want to dig in a bit here. Um, yeah. So how did you get to meet this guy? Um, how did this all come to pass that you're breaking bread and having a discussion with him? Sure. So this was during our tour to the Mekong Delta, and I don't think that we really knew we were going to be meeting this man it felt very serendipitous. I mean, maybe it was in the itinerary. We tried not to really look at it too much. You know, we, we planned most of the events and then we're like, that sounds cool. But like while we were in country, we were just like going with the flow. Um, and we go down the Mekong Delta, you know, just Sarah and I, we did everything private. You know, we don't want other people around. Um, so we go down the Mekong Delta and we go into this like kind of, and we ride bikes through this like, village in the jungle and um one of the stops was this man's garden and it's weird we're like we're, we're biking and then we're like go off this like beaten path like into the jungle and then there's like just so happens to be a table set up and there's like a whole bunch of fruit and stuff and then he's just kind of there this little man picking some stuff up he has like uh you know a a little basket, woven basket, and he's like picking some fruit, and it's apparently his garden. And um, and we sit down, and you know, he starts. He speaks no English. And he starts like handing us things. We're just like, okay, and it's fruit. And the interpreter's telling us like what he's giving us, and then like he's like, you guys are gonna drink rice wine with him. We're like, okay, and rice wine is essentially Vietnamese moonshine. It's very strong. It's like sixty percent alcohol. It's like the moon to bud. And he apparently he drinks quite a bit of it. Um, and um, yeah, so he grows all sorts of fruit. You know, jackfruit, papaya, melons, just all these like little tiny bananas, like all these crazy things that um, are just like lusciously and freely growing in this jungle. And um, so we eat with him, we drink some rice wine with him, and this is like in part of like the garden part of it. And then we go into his home and we, you know, have tea and drink some more rice wine and, and 
stop and like I'm in his home and we start talking to him and through the interpreter, um, through our tour guide. And um, he reveals to us that he's a Viet Cong veteran. And I said, my father was a Green Beret, he fought in the US Army against you. And he goes, oh, okay. And he just like, was like his eyes sort of just like lit up and then he like sticks his hand out and he like shakes my hand and he's like, your father? And I'm like, yeah, my father. And he was just like, it was weird. It was like, like, let's bygones be bygones. And let's like, he had nothing bad to say about the US Army other than like, I'd, it's like old news at this point, you know, like it happened and that's like, it was sad, and at the time, he obviously felt all different, but now he's just like, your father had to do what he had to do, and I had to do what I had to do. You know, there's not, like, any animosity towards it. Um, did you get his rank or what he did in the Vietnam War or wh- what he was doing? Yeah, he um, he would defuse bombs that the Army would, you know, implement in like bombs and mines, he would he would defuse them essentially. Wow! Wow! Uh, what was his name? Great question. Don't remember it. That's okay. Leather ice uh, wine. Not I Harry Potter. Imagine. Not James Bond. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. It was something crazy. He, you know, I, I put his identification card next to the GoPro. Uh, hopefully, he captured it and like I, it's clear. Um, but he showed me that. Um, and um, what was it? I was going to make about him. Um, yeah, so telling him about it, you know, he shook my hand. He was very, it was very much like bygones be bygones. And, um, you know, he started, he wasn't initially a soldier. So for those who don't know, the Viet Cong were sort of a militia group of Vietnamese people that sort of swayed both ways but like we're just attacking whoever you know they could be from the north and attacking the south vietnamese they could be attacking american soldiers but they were this sort of vietnamese people um so it made them super dangerous because we didn't know if we were killing allies or if we were killing the enemy and what what got really ugly about this war is you know American army essentially just declared that everyone was Viet Cong and they just started killing everybody because they couldn't tell the difference. So they'd go into villages and just annihilate everybody because they couldn't tell. So anyway, so he was, when the war started, since he was in the South, you know, and a lot of the Viet Cong was from the North, he was neutral. You know, he didn't, he wasn't taking sides. He wasn't choosing anything. He just was being and then when the war really got out of hand when we started using chemical warfare agent orange on the people and just seeing the effects it was having and the villages we were destroying he he decided to to fight back and that's that's what ultimately led his decision to be a Viet Cong. Wow. I mean, did you talk to your, your dad at all about this afterwards? Or at least, like, do you ha- feel like this was, like, the culmination of 
the, the trip for you? It was, it was absolutely the culmination of the trip. And it's funny because it was the last day of like our adventures that we had planned. We had two more days left in the country, but it was essentially like the last thing we had planned. And then it just sort of happened. So it was very profound. Um, and it was something that I wish I was sort of a little more prepared for because it kind of caught me off guard. I like I wanted to ask him more questions. I asked him some. Aaron was good. He asked him a fair amount of questions. But it was like one of those things that I didn't know was totally going to happen. Um, so I was taken back a little bit by it. But, you know, ultimately it was a great experience and just it did feel like sort of that closure I was looking for. I mean, this was a man who, who knows, could have been shooting at my father, um, mm -hmm. trying to kill him. And here I am, you know, drinking with him, shaking his hand, and there's nothing but, like, respect and love there. Uh, wow. I, if only people could really experience the kind of in new perspective you had been revealed. How long were you there at that point? How many days in country had you had in, uh, when, when you I met this gentleman? That was the 10th day. So, so I've been there for a week and yeah. Wow. So you're there humping around the city or humping around the whole country, getting out there and meeting these people. Um, this was the only Viet Cong guy that you met? Were there other people who like maybe had ref uh, like uh, relatives or was or did it feel like they had mostly passed on at this point? Some had passed on. I mean, he wasn't the only person like local Viennese person we broke bread with. We actually, I went to in Hanoi. I had lunch, and I had lunch with this Viennese woman who was a teacher. Her her father was in the army, um, but I think just fighting for the north. I don't think he was a Viet Cong. Um, and then in Hue, we had another meal in another woman's home. Um, no real connection to the war, I, I don't think, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't as relevant, at least from the people we were meeting or talking to. Um, I think a lot of the tour guides, maybe their fathers um, had fought or their grandfathers had fought, which was interesting. Um, but uh, it's almost like the further you get away from this war, you know, like this next generation, it's like going to feel so long ago at that point that you know, it's like a blimp in history. They don't, they don't really know. And I think it's the same for, like, the American like kids now. I don't know that they're going to really have any context for Vietnam. Even for us growing up, like, it wasn't, it wasn't like it just happened yesterday. Um, but it was still, like, our parents and that generation, you know, was all very affected by it. So being three generations removed now or four generations, it, it um, I think it loses some of the impact and importance it had on shaping the country, whether people know it or not. Yeah, but like you said, it, it, it seems like it's still very much part of the culture there, and that the, the people that are there still think about it, and they, you know, their perspectives are still relevant. So, you know, for, for people in America or other countries around the world, they may not necessarily feel it, but if you go there, you'll, you'll definitely experience it. Yeah, I mean, the museum in Saigon used to be called the Museum of American War Crimes. Wow, wow. That's really what it was, and going to that was really, 
in ways it felt like a Holocaust museum. I mean, just seeing some of the imagers there were, it was just brutal. And it was just like, obviously it was from the Vietnamese uh, perspective, but I mean, just seeing really the breakdown of what we did there was just like, fuck, what? <sighs> wow. Yeah. Um, okay. So, as much as yep. I would, uh, I, I'm thinking the best way we could kind of wrap this all up uh, mm-hmm. without, you know, kind of continuing on much further. Because I think we kind of really, I really appreciate you sharing your trip with us, uh, Matt. It's really great information here. Uh, I know this is a very typical, you know, middle school book report wrap-up question, but if there was one thing that you know now that you didn't know before you left, um, is that, it, would you care to share that with us? Is there, you know, any kind of profound takeaway you have about this that, um, you know, we can kind of wrap up on? Yeah, I mean, I think for me... I mean, the biggest takeaway for me was just seeing how warm and friendly people are there and really just, you know, they just wanted to kind of do their their thing. And granted, their thing didn't line up with what our government wanted. They didn't want the spread of communism. But it, it's a it's a bigger picture than that. I mean, it's 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 a lot of politics and and yeah, it's a lot of politics and territorial power. Um, I think that was really the kicker. But I, I'd say my takeaway was why get involved in other people's business when they're just going to like do the things they want to do. And that's something America has been obviously doing for years and years and years. Um, and it's just part of our culture, I guess. Um, and something you could still see we're continuing to do today. Um, and this is one of those instances where like we tried to do something and it just failed miserably. Um, and ultimately we just sent the country back you know, 30, 40 years. Cause I feel like now they're just finally coming out of it. Um, but I, I was amazed how open and receptive they were to Americans. You know, you would think that they would hate us for what we did, but I think that was the biggest takeaway is how warm and friendly everybody was to us. And it wasn't like we were just in one place or two places or three places. Like we were up and down the country. It was pretty much everywhere. And you wouldn't really bat an eyelash. I mean, you definitely get looks and, you know, maybe some stares, but never felt like I was in danger anywhere or unsafe. Um, It was a very warm experience. And um, to just see the remnant of the history of what our country did to them and them still just trying to live a happy and carefree life, which seems like a lot of people do, you know, they don't have much more, but they don't need much more, um, was just an interesting perspective and takeaway to have. That's great, man. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds like you had maybe possibly a life-changing experience there and that, uh, you know, that it's one of those countries that, you know, a lot of people maybe wouldn't necessarily think about going to visit, but that sure. that you'd probably recommend to, you know, for 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that's totally true. It's definitely not a country most people have on the top of their list, but it, it is a beautiful country. I mean, it's a beautiful country in Asia that you see so much and there's so much history there from an American standpoint. I feel like it's, it's important to know your history and know what you did as a country and how it's affected the lives of others. And I think seeing that firsthand has a profound effect. Um, just, you know, you just treat people with kindness. It really just goes back to that. I mean, they were just super nice people and, you know, Americans could learn a lot from that. And that's not to say they have it all figured out because they certainly do not. But, you know, at the root of it, and maybe this is just being jaded living in big cities for so long, but um, you just be nice to people. And, um, you know, they, they have strong values and they stand by them and they have strong traditions and they just stand by them. And I think that does exist in parts of this country. But, you know, in a time where everything feels so divided and, you know, people are unsure of what to do, I think it's important to just, you know, try to be nice to some people. Amen, man. I hate. Amen. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Um, okay. Uh, so uh, just real quick to wrap up here. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. We know we went a little bit long for this week. Um, you can find all of uh, Matt Zeeby's amazing Instagram photos as well as the rest of his Instagram work at Matt underscore Zeeby. Um Matt, any other plugs, places people can get at you you'd like to throw out, mention? Yeah, I mean, this video hopefully will be out sooner than later. Um, it's taking some work. We're doing some archival digging. It's going to be bigger than just a travel video. Um, it's going to tie in the purpose of this trip and what, uh, what ultimately led to us going there. So it and may this take a, will live on Wander, I, I assume. No, I don't. I don't think. I don't know where it's going to live yet. We haven't. We haven't gotten there yet. It may awesome. live on Wander. It may live. You know, it'll probably be on Facebook or something at some point. Maybe YouTube or Vimeo. But um, there is a video coming at some point. Hopefully this year. It should be sometime this year. But that will um, that will encapsulate everything I said here and then some. I think Great. I speak for everybody when I say we really look forward to seeing that and uh, checking that out and uh, hearing from you again. It was great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Frank, man. you want to play us out here, buddy? Yeah, sure. And, you know, like like AJ said, uh, it's great to have your perspective here on, uh, on your trip, but we would love to have you on as a guest another time, whether, you know, we're going over pop culture stuff or whatever else is happening in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, until next time, AJ, Frank, Zeebe from the Long Lost Heroes podcast. Uh, you can find us at longlostheroes.net. Uh, you can email us at info at longlostheroes.net. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LLH Podcast. And uh, we should hopefully be having another podcast again sometime in the next week or so. But uh, we're signing off here, and we'll catch you next time. Take care, everybody. Take care, guys. Thank you.